Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. Today we'll be talking about the 2014 Australian horror film, The Babadook. You're welcome. Why? (laughs) Why are you the way you are? (laughs) Listen, it was directed and written by Jennifer Kent, and it stars Essie Davis and Noah Wiseman, who play the mother, Amelia, and the son, Samuel. The Babadook was Jennifer Kent's first film, and I guess the first like full-length film that she wrote as well, which says a lot about her as a filmmaker and as a writer, because this is a pretty great first try. Mm-hmm. It's an expansion of the first film she wrote and directed, which was a short film back in 2005, which is just called The Monster. Ugh. Yeah. Abby and I so just scary. watched it before recording this, and... It's pretty frightening. Yeah. I want to say, I don't think I have screamed out loud yeah. watching some, like watching something like, like that. Mm, it's been years. I think it's been years. I think last time was The Conjuring. Yeah. I think, I'm trying to remember, I think that was probably the last time too. Yeah. I did, I did get like scared when I saw Annabelle creation. I didn't scream though when I mm-hmm. watched it. Like this was like I screamed out loud watching this <laughs> crazy short film by Jennifer Kent. Anyway, so if you guys want to watch it, the link to it is in the show notes. It's great. T- Jeff definitely check it out. It's awesome. So Kent started out as an actress and after seeing Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark, which stars Bjork, she got the itch to pick up directing. So she sent von Trier a letter explaining how she thought he was amazing <laughs> and how she wanted to study under him. And he wrote her back and said, yeah, absolutely. You can kind of tell that she did, though. It's very... That he's an influence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has that vibe. Yeah. So she was one of his assistants on the set of Dogville. So most of the money that was used to make the Babadook came from the Australian government and a Kickstarter campaign that was set up by Jennifer Kent. The Babadook was initially not a strong commercial success in Australia. However, after its strong reception at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival, the film generated more attention in the United States and in Europe. William Friedkin the director of The Exorcist, tweeted, and I quote, I've never seen a more terrifying film, unquote. (laughs) And that's coming from the guy that directed arguably the most terrifying film ever. Wild. The Babadook eventually grossed $7.5 million over a $2 million budget and was critically acclaimed as being a genre film that actually focused on real horror and not just cheap jump scares. We'll get into what we mean by real horror uh, as the show goes on. In 2014, it was on many critics' best movies of the year list, and in the summer of 2017, when Netflix accidentally added it to their LGBTQ movie list, <laughs> the Baba ba- Shook! Baba Shook! <laughs> the Babadook instantly became a gay icon. <laughs> yes. With that said, Abby, could you please remind us of the plot? Yeah, of course. Uh, The Babadook is a story about Amelia, who is a single mom, and her son Samuel. And we learn that she is a single mom because on the night that Samuel was born, her husband was driving her to the hospital, and they got in a car accident, and her husband passes away. So um, Amelia is basically faced with the task of raising her newborn son on her own. And we see right away that Sam 
you know, he's a little bit different. He's pretty hyperactive and he's aggressive towards other kids and his teachers and his mom mostly. Sam kind of, as the movie goes on, spirals out of control more and more. And Amelia has zero power over him as a parent. Um, So Amelia is pretty much on her own. She has a sister, and that's her only family, and her sister doesn't like spending time with them because she is afraid of Sam. And Sam actually pushes his cousin out of a treehouse at one point in the film, so his sister is like, or his uh, aunt is like, yeah, no bueno. So (laughs) Amelia is really struggling, and she tries to do her best as a single parent. So one night, Sam can't sleep. So she stays up to read him a story uh, to put him to bed. And he brings her this book titled The Babadook. She doesn't know where the book came from and it's really creepy, but it's kind of cool because it's got like all these hand-drawn illustrations and it's a pop-up book. So yeah, pretty sweet. Pretty (laughs) artsy-fartsy. So the book scares the crap out of Samuel because it's about this monster that kind of infiltrates your life and won't leave until you're dead. Not the best bedtime story. (laughs) So Amelia tries to get rid of the book. Like she does everything she can just to like ignore it and like get it out of their lives. But it keeps coming back. Like at one point she tries to burn it and it ends back up on their doorstep. So Amelia is like, oh my God. So it's one more stressor to her already like. (laughs) Insane life. Yeah, it's just bad news. So one night. As all of this stuff happens and, you know, their life is kind of crumbling, Amelia finally hits her breaking point and she kind of has a mental breakdown. And it's like she becomes possessed by the Babadook. And um, she tries to kill Sam. But Sam kind of knows better and, like, he sort of knows what's going on and everything. And he sticks by his mom and... Basically, at, like, the very end of the movie, Amelia faces the Babadook and, you know, screams that it's not welcome there anymore. And she kind of faces it head on. Mm -hmm. And, like, everything kind of falls into place and you start to see that maybe the Babadook is a representative of her grief and her depression and all of these emotions that she's been holding inside for so long and you know, having to deal with raising Sam on her own. Like, it all finally comes to a head. But she takes control of it. And she doesn't kill it because it continues to live in the basement of their house. But she has the power over the Babadook now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty powerful movie. And there's obviously a lot more to the plot than that. But it, there's so much within this film that I think maybe we could get into it. In detail a little bit more but yeah I think that was a great that's just that's a great summary it's like it's about a single mom and her son and this horrible evil entity that's living in their home yeah and it's terrifying it's horrific looking yeah it's awful it's yeah. the worst I yeah. remember when I first saw this I thought okay mm, yep that's my nightmare right there. Uh, yeah, it's so gross. <laughs> so let's get into the discussion. Yeah. It does pass the Bechdel test. Woo-hoo. Yes. Uh, the scene at the birthday party with Amelia, her sister, Claire, and Claire's friends, and they're all sitting around a table and they're discussing Amelia's former job as a writer. Mm-hmm. That scene I actually missed the first few times I watched it. Yeah. 
I would like look away and like type on my computer like just at the right time to like miss that it passed. Unfortunately though that scene was kind of forgettable a little bit. It it it's not a very powerful scene like what You know what though? It actually there's like that one part at the very end where she gets kind of aggressive when she's talking to the women right. about like what she does and what she wishes she that's could do. That's the first time you see her like that, too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That's the first she, time you see her snap a little. Yeah, she's mostly just exasperated. Like, ugh. She's mostly like, just me on a normal basis. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. And then she snaps. And you're like, oh, dang. Yeah. It's pr- it's it's actually, Essie Davis is so freaking good in this. She she plays exasperated, like sweet, and, and just sort of passive really well. And then she plays psychotic really well oh too. yeah and it she switches really well which is great yeah. i you know she's really good in miss fisher's murder mysteries that was the first <laughs> thing that i saw her in. yes so she looks I, completely different she does she has like different hair different makeup different clothing it's a completely different character and it's awesome it's she did a wild. really good job yeah uh noah wiseman as her son is really good too he plays like a little turd really well yeah he does but he's also really cute in he the is- scenes where he is cute and very in trying to protect her and says that he loves her mm-hmm. just really great she jennifer kent did a great job with casting and, and figuring out to play these roles it really helps like hold this film together yeah so let's talk a little bit little bit about that relationship between Amelia and her son Sam the beginning starts off right away with her immediately showing the audience that she is feeling separated yeah and like her son like tries to hold her in bed and then he like pushes she pushes him away and she goes to the very end of the bed to get as far away from him as possible when I saw that scene I that was pretty powerful to me yeah that was really upsetting super upsetting yeah because you would think that maybe the death of the husband would kind of bring them maybe closer it's done the exact opposite yeah at the end you kind of see the change where they are together and they're doing things together and they're Mm -hmm. finding like worms in the in the grass together and you know and that's what she uses to feed the babadook in her basement which you said something really funny about that Oh, yeah, the freaking Babadook is just, like, taking up space in the house, and it's like, what bills are you paying, Babadook, that you think you can just live here for free? (laughs) And she feeds him. I know. Get a job. Be a normal guy. Oh, stresses me out. So great. Contribute to the household. Do something besides make me miserable. Seriously. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be so cute if somebody made, like, a little comic of the Babadook and Sam finally getting along? Can somebody do that? I can't please. draw. So somebody please do that and then take a picture of it and send it to us and we'll post it all over our social media because yeah. it's going to be awesome. Make it like a family portrait yeah. with Amelia and Sam. Like, one of those cheesy 80s ones. Do it. They're, like, <gasps> all wearing the same outfit. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. If anyone can draw out there, that'd be great if we could see that. Jennifer Kent, we have your sequel. <laughs> Get a hold of us. <laughs> Bob oh. Duck Matters. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So that's okay. So the Baba Duck, the name, uh, Jennifer Kent said it comes from the Serbian word Baba Roga. That's where like she got that whole name from. And Baba means woman, and the word roga means horn. 
So it's a legendary creature who appears as an old woman with a horn on her head <laughs> who buys naughty children from their disgruntled parents and Creepy. keeps them in their lair. So ah. she's kind of like the boogeyman. And I guess you could kind of say the Babadook is a boogeyman. He's oh. sort of like a boogeyman for your feelings. A uh, close maybe. relation to the Baba Yaga, maybe? Yes, absolutely. A, f- a distant cousin? Yep. So there's Baba Roga, Baba Yaga, and Babadook. Babadooka. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So production designer Alex Holmes was hired by Kent to create a, quote, very cool slash very claustrophobic, unquote, interior environment. Oh, I thought you meant very cool, like rad. Oh, no, like cool, like <laughs> burr, cold. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all right. <laughs> the film's final color scheme was achieved without the use of gels. And there was no, like, alterations during the post-filming stage. The whole film looks and sounds like what depression feels like. Yes. The dark gray clouds, kids crying, moms yelling, creaky noises, and sometimes even just dead silence. Yeah. What do you think about the production design? I really love it because this color scheme is, like, my favorite color scheme. (laughs) Which, I don't know what that says about me, but, you know, whatever. Um... (laughs) I think that they did a great job portraying her feelings through the set. It's spot on. And even like down to the lighting and the imagery that they use for like the actual monster Babadook, it's great. It's all so well done. Yeah, uh, what I really liked about the image of the Babadook was that it's definitely based on like German uh films like Mm -hmm. like the nosferatu type yeah like silent films yeah like the experimental german films that were made during that time and and those films you know they're they were made so long ago but they still give you that really icky yeah feeling and even in scenes like you know during the film like where she's sitting late at night watching tv she's like watching those type of films and Mm -hmm. she imagines the babadook like popping up in those films and if you want to argue that the babadook is like all in their heads type thing and is like a representation of her uh, grief and depression she might have maybe got that image from those films that she was already watching yeah so yeah it's really neat uh so who wrote the babadook dun 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 jennifer (laughs) kent and american artist alex uhas they made four separate books for the film and they wrote them like a fairy tale, like an original grim fairy tale. I mean, like the whole Baba Yaga thing. Yeah. And we Lynn, a former librarian has a YouTube channel where she talks about the Babadook and she mentions how the Babadook is similar to like the big bad wolf, especially mm. when he's like knocking and saying, let me come in kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So obviously Kent and Yuha's got, all of that imagery from fairy tales. So here's a theory. And I think we've talked about this before. I I think that we both had a different idea. So let's, let's see if they've, they're the same Um, theories about the book, the son and the mother's realization of the mother's depression. So like the book manifests when they're both sort of realizing what this is, what this is like, what, what they're feeling 
Uh, there are some clues suggesting that Amelia had created the book with hints of her in the beginning, like we were talking about. She was a writer and she was not just a writer, but she also wrote, quote, kids stuff. And yeah. there's a scene where she has like charcoal on her hands. And some people have argued that it's from when she was burning the book or when she was like maybe grabbing the book out of the fire. To me, I think it's her, whether it's real or not, whether it's in her head or whatever, I think that's her creating the book. What do you think? I kind of think that the book just manifested itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the way, like, in the film, you do see, like, her charcoal-y hands, like, after she's burning the book. So that's why I thought, you know, she looked, like, so dirty and stuff from it. Um, But it's quite possible that she could have made it, like, in a state of, like, manic depression and then not remembered it. Right, but and I don't think that that's what happened. I think that the charcoal on her hands are her is her own like seeing it. Like I think it's sort of just like a hint oh, that the Babadook, yeah. yeah, yeah, the book in general is like from her, like she's manifested it. Like yeah. it's come from her head. Yeah, and the charcoal kind of thing maybe just represents like she created it. Maybe just but in her head though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of it's it's so funny researching this. A lot of people think she like physically did create it a lot of people think it's in her head and a lot of people think it's just when she grabbed the book out of the out of the uh fire and i'm like okay yeah what do you think let us know <laughs> so a lot of the film is like a, a lo-fi production mm-hmm. actually the whole film is lo-fi yeah everything is basically handmade like the the book is looks very handmade like you had said and there was no like special effects really uh kent actually used stop motion effects for the babadook and explained in the empire in empire she said there's been some criticism of the lo-fi approach to the effects and that makes me laugh because that was always intentional Mm -hmm. what do you think she was trying to say by using very lo-fi effects to me when you see the babadook it looks unnatural and it looks so like rigid like you're looking at someone with rigor mortis so i i definitely think that she did that on purpose but i think that it has to do also with um you know like paying respect to uh, classical monsters and that kind of thing and the origins of where they came from because i think it's like the second or third time you really see the babadook up close is it's after amelia has been watching like those classical horror movies on tv so that's how she pictures it because that's where she kind of like first really sees it and she finally like realizes what she's looking at and she's like oh my god. So yeah, I think that it I think it worked out perfectly, honestly. I think it would have really ruined the mood of the film if there was any sort of CGI used. Yeah, I think yeah. this was a great choice. Yeah. on her part to use to be lo-fi. It was a good call. So Jennifer Kent began writing the screenplay for The Babadook, like for the full-length version, in 2009 and said that it had it was a film about the fear of losing your mind. One of her inspirations was The Shining. <laughs> the screenplay and the film never insult the audience, mm-hmm. I think. It's pretty clear what it's about, and Kent really trusts her audience to understand that. Yeah. So let's talk about this. The serious talk about depression. Oh. <laughs> While I laugh, sorry. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to laugh Sometimes, your sadness away. Yeah, there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. So 
I, I'm going to get real with all of you listeners. This recording took four or five times to <laughs> finally get correct. We had so many audio issues for this recording that I can't even count like I don't remember if it was four or five times we've tried to do this we've lost recordings we've had um recordings that uh have been completely lost because we've oh, the battery has died on the yeah. recorder uh I went to go uh edit what I thought was our recording and it was uh, a jumbled mess like it had recorded really weird and so like the sound was really bad and so Abby and I <laughs> we were just like gosh darn it like it was <laughs> it was pretty upsetting I'm not gonna lie I felt really depressed it like triggered me and I this whole weekend this past weekend I like could not get out of bed I was so yeah, triggered by nuts. it just kind of falling apart obviously it's something that we are now fixing and it's fine but it uh it was troubling. It was sort of like, why isn't this working? I know. This is like one of the only episodes that we have had so many issues with that I'm like, it's cursed. Yes. I think <laughs> it's like our exorcist. Like yeah. it's like, or someone, a friend of mine even said, it's like your poltergeist. I'm like, yeah, it's just cursed. Um, so hopefully this one is not, hopefully we've broken the curse. And, you know, I rewatched the film, uh, again today and I thought well I have to watch it because I'm gonna have to record about it again and um for some reason I I watched at the height of my depressed feelings like this weekend mistake no but really I actually thought it was a good idea I actually watched this and it was like my vision had changed like watching this while I was basically feeling the lowest of the low because I already have depression so um, it's not like this whole thing not recording is like, like I, I was just triggered by it. And I'm mm-hmm. starting to feel like really low and really down and thinking like, what the heck am I doing? So I was in a really like loathing kind of feeling while I was watching this film. And I just was like, oh, my God, like she is a genius. Jennifer mm-hmm. Kent is an effing genius. I was like, I saw this film with like completely different eyes and uh i loved it for mm-hmm. and i i liked it before i thought it was i think it's a great film but i was in a moment where i was watching it and i thought i love this movie i got it like it was almost like i needed to be in that state and watch it and feel like i understand absolutely every single moment in this film mhm I mean, that's that's how I feel about it. And I think that it was probably meant to be. We had to wait to record it at yeah. this time. But um, it really helped, I think, a lot. And I felt like really good almost after it. It was amazing. It was like I watched it when I was feeling really low immediately after. Like I got up, I took a shower, like I did the dishes, like I felt like I could function again. And I yeah. think it's because I watched something that that I felt understood me. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds really strange because obviously. No, not at all. Well, and. I know in the film, like she goes through so much more than I go through in my real life, but um, it, it she captures Jennifer Kent captures that feeling so incredibly well that you almost feel good afterwards because you feel like somebody gets how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's funny you should say that though, because I had a similar experience with it when I watched it. Because the first time I saw it, I was in college, and like. It was, I kind of fell asleep to it. So, like, I only caught bits and pieces of it, but I was like, 
oh, you know, this is this is all right as far as horror goes and stuff like that. And then I revisited it a couple years later after um, someone in my family passed away. And I was like, oh, this is talking about grief. And this is exactly what grief feels like. And it complete like once you experience something like that your like views about this movie change it was like a 180 and I was like whoa like I thought that I was the only person that not like that I was the only person ever who had experienced grief but in the way that I was feeling but this movie like like I felt like Amelia at certain points in my life because I didn't want to talk to anybody and I just like shut everything out. And so when you see that in a film that like you you don't have anything to do with but you know that someone else relates to it, it's like, okay, well, it's it's still terrible but it's not so bad because I'm not the only one who's ever gone through it. So I think it's right. really powerful in that way. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people who actually don't like this film and I'm not saying that those people haven't gone through really, really tough times in their life. I think that this is a film that if you watch at just the right time, Mm -hmm. you really appreciate it Yeah, for everything that it is. If you watch it right when you are feeling exactly how this film is trying to like express how the characters are feeling. Mm hmm. We can say that this film, right, is definitely about grief um, and depression. How about, like, motherhood in general? And, like, being a kid with with a, a single parent in general. Like, Jennifer Kent is quoted in a Den of, Ge- a Den of Geek interview as saying, uh, now I'm not saying we all want to go and kill our kids, <laughs> but a lot of women really struggle and it's a very taboo subject to say that motherhood is anything but a perfect experience for women yeah and then you can argue well just because uh, you're a child and you're being taken care of you as a child I guess are at the most vulnerable point of your life yeah I mean because there's scenes in this film where he's like I'm hungry and she's like I'm not gonna feed you yeah she's like I just need to sleep you need to go away and he's like I'm seven. Like I know. Just feed me kind of thing. And so you really feel bad for both her and her kid. Because even though her kid's a little turd, he's still <laughs> a kid. He needs to be taken care of. And but she has gone through so much. And so there's such a like a uh there's so much um what's there's so much friction there. Yeah. And it's tearing them apart and it's tearing their relationship apart as mother and child and I think that that's great that she explores the subject that uh, sometimes it just sucks to be yeah. a mom. Sometimes well, you just hate it. <laughs> especially when you don't have a good support system. Um, yeah. Like, I watched my sister be a single mom, and it's one of the most difficult things that you can go through as a, like a person in general but especially a woman because you're expected to have like a maternal instinct and which you know a lot of women do naturally but there are some women who suffer from postpartum depression and they don't know what's going on or they don't know how to get help or they don't have time to get help because they are single or they don't have they the work. money to get right. help yeah right and you know like people 
aren't comfortable addressing that because it's like, oh, well, this mom just killed her baby because she was really tired and couldn't get enough sleep. It's like nobody wants to talk about it because it's so horrific. Yeah. Well, and nobody just wants to talk about what if she never wanted to be a mom kind of thing. Like what if someone just doesn't want to be a mom and all of a sudden they're a mom and they automatically have to feel like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm just glowing all the time. Like my life feels like I have meaning now. Some women don't feel that way. Some women feel the literally the exact opposite Mm -hmm. where they feel like they have no meaning anymore because they have kids. And this is not the case for every single person, but the fact that it is the case for some people, Mm -hmm. the, I love that Jennifer Kent just, she addresses that. And it's, it's great. I think it's wonderful. And she addresses it in a horror film, which I think is the perfect genre. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about The Ring earlier and um, the how crazy it is to be a single mom. And yeah, like horror movies are a great genre for women in so many different ways. And this is one of them mm-hmm. is being a single mother. And I think it's just perfect how she executes it in this film. Yeah. But I think also there's that whole thing about like, well, if you don't want to be a parent, then why didn't you give your child up for adoption kind of thing? It's not It's not simple, though. Right, exactly. And that's also a really, really frightening part about it because, like, yeah, you could give your child up for adoption, but who's to say that that person won't take advantage of them or, you know, not take care of them? And then you have that also on your conscience. It's like... It's kind of a lose-lose in that situation. Absolutely. So, yeah, the fact that people think that it's just a black and white decision is is selfish and yeah, completely, yeah. like, uncalled for, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Oh, man. It's so great. It's such a good, such a good film. Yeah. But I think also, too, it's a great eye-opener for people who, like, really jump to conclusions about, like, there was a really good quote that someone I forget who said it, but it's, they basically said that grief is not linear. So like you don't have the funeral and then go home and, you know, cry for a couple of days and then, you know, pick yourself up and get out of bed and take care of your child. Like it doesn't work that way. And a lot of people still think that it does. So it's like being able to watch someone who very imperfectly it like it's just struggling to keep their head above water is not refreshing i don't want to like say it like yes i love seeing that in movies but it's very real and it's very yeah. raw absolutely so. yeah i mean even like the dog dies in this film guys and it's really sad <laughs> Um, and if you ever want to find out if a dog dies in a film or any other animal, just go to does the dog die.com because <laughs> that's what i do um and uh, you actually see the dog's body like she's buried it. Yeah. And I always wondered, like, why did she do that? But I thought, you know what? Because we're not supposed to forget what happens to us when we are in the darkest place in our life. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to forget, like, oh, like the dog. Okay, the dog really did die. Yeah. Like, what you have done, you cannot undo However, you can move forward and learn 
how to handle it, right? Yeah. So that's why the Babadook lives in her house. It will never go away. Your feel right. your darkness will never go away now. All you can do is just sort of move forward and sort of take care of it so that it doesn't get out. Yeah. You can like it's learning to like make friends with your inner demons kind of yeah. so that they don't completely take over your life because you're right it's never gonna go away it was like my college advisor was a psych professor and you know I was talking him talking to him about having anxiety and like going through all these panic attacks and stuff like that when I was in college and you know he was like well it's never gonna go away like once it starts, it's probably going to happen, whether it's frequent or unfrequent. You're going to have to deal with it your whole life. You just need to learn how to cope. So, yeah, I think this film speaks volumes about that. And it's okay to have that, like, dark part of you because it's just a part of who you are. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. There doesn't have to be a stigma surrounding it because everybody's got different chemicals everyone has a different balance so yeah, yeah. wow thank yeah. you abby <laughs> that was wonderful you're welcome <laughs> you guys uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of good morning nancy in honor of the full moon at the end of the month we will be talking about one of our favorite werewolf films in the next full-length episode yes have a great morning and we'll see you then bye